Well, good morning, church. Have you ever noticed that in life, belief determines behavior and behavior determines outcome? What I believe will determine what I do. And what I do determines consequences or outcome, whether positive or negative. So if I believe the right thing, I'm going to do the right thing. And if I do the right thing, then good stuff tends to happen. But if I believe the wrong thing, I'm going to do the wrong thing. And if I do the wrong thing, then negative stuff tends to happen. Before we even get to the word, I want to prove it to you just in life. You ever heard the saying, feed a cold and what? Starve a fever. Now, everybody think about that just for a minute. I do not have children, but let's say that I did. I hope to one day. My wife and I are in the adoption process. So let's say I've got a little five or six-year-old that comes to me and says, Dad, I'm sick. Yeah, what's up? I got aches. I got pains. I'm not feeling good. My stomach doesn't feel good. So here's what I do. I check to see if the child has a fever. If they do not, I can allow them to eat. If they do, I am supposed to starve this child and prevent them from getting the nourishment that they need, right? I, I, I'll, I'll just let them go days on end. Until that fever goes away, you're not touching food, you little punk. That's it, you know? Is that what I'm supposed to do? You know, the funny thing is that saying was initially feed a cold, stave a fever. You got a child that's sick or you're sick, if you feed yourself, if you nourish your body, you will stave off or prevent a fever. Someone added an R there somewhere, and all of a sudden we started to believe the wrong thing, and it caused us to do the wrong thing, and it would cause pretty significantly negative consequences. How many of you have the, uh, the electronic mail? Do you have that? The email? Have you heard of the email and the, and the, the interwebs? I think, I think it's here to stay. I really do. Um, if you have a cheap email account like, like I do, if you have one of the free ones, then your spam filter probably isn't great. So every now and then, I'll get some spam in my email account. And, and every now and then, I'll get an email from like a Nigerian prince or princess <laughs> that wants to give me a significant amount of money. Have, raise your hand if you've got that before. Venue, y'all raise your hand over there too if you've got that email before. I was at the gym with a buddy on Monday. I was telling him about this illustration I was going to use. And I said, man, it's just been so long since I've got one of those emails. Literally the next day. I was so, I want to read it to you. It's awesome. This is the email I got. Dear respected one. Well, clearly she knows me, right? <laughs> Greetings. Permit me to inform you of my desire of going into a business relationship with you. Go on. I got your contact information from the international website directory. Sounds totally legit. I prayed over it and selected your name, among other names, due to its A, esteeming nature, and B, the recommendations given to me as a reputable and trustworthy person I can do business with. Again. Clearly, she knows me. <laughs> Apparently, this young lady's dad was a wealthy cocoa merchant in the Ivory Coast. 
Her, her father's business partners killed him, but before he passed away, he gave to her $26.5 million dollars uh, to, to do with what she pleased, but she needs my help to get a hold of that $26.5 million, and all she needs from me is a bank account number where the money would be transferred to. I, uh, my wife was out of town this week. This is what I do when my wife's out of town. I do stupid stuff, right? So I created an image that I now leave on my desktop. So anytime I get an email like that, I just hit reply and I attach this image. Here it is right up here on the screen. Who has two thumbs and wants you to have his credit card number? This guy. <laughs> I just hit reply. I attach that image and let them know, you want my information? You got it, buddy, because I believe that you really are the daughter of a wealthy cocoa merchant from the Ivory Coast. See, if I believe that, that's the wrong thing, I'm going to do the wrong thing, which is give them my bank account number. And if I do the right, a wrong thing, it's going to have very, very negative consequences for me, is it not? I see this as a pastor, and for the last 16 years of ministry, I've seen this as a pastor a lot when it comes to people and what they believe about the church, what they believe about the church. That negative outcome that we experience with church tends to be disappointment and disillusionment, and we struggle, and it gets boring and all that stuff, and we're going, what in the world is going on? And a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times, we can track that negative outcome back to, to, to an incorrect belief about what the church is. Listen to the way uh, Larry Crabb puts it in his book, Real Church. Larry Crabb was uh, one of Jamie's mentors and, and, and a real good friend. This is what he writes about two seasoned Christian leaders, leaders in the evangelical community, and about his conversation with them, and listen to their disillusionment with the church. That's the negative outcome. And see if you might be able to locate the incorrect belief that they have about the church. Larry Crabb writes this, a seasoned Christian leader, well-known and well-respected in evangelical circles, recently pulled me aside at a conference where he and I were speaking. And out of earshot of the milling crowd, he whispered, you know, I really don't want to go to church anymore. I just don't like it, right? There's the negative outcome. He goes on, I still go, but mostly for appearances sake, certainly not for mine. Two weeks later, another recognizable uh, figure in the Christian world leaned across the table and without context, again in whispered tones said, I'm having a hard time seeing the point of going to church anymore. It used to feel important to me. It doesn't now. I skip it whenever I have an excuse good enough to muffle my conscience and keep tongues from wagging. And the pastor is a good friend and a darn good preacher. But when I go, it's mostly to set an example for my kids. I guess I still think it's important for them to go. Pretty hypocritical, huh? End quote. You see, the, the negative outcome is disillusionment, boredom, disconnection from the church. But, but if you picked it up, and I hope you did, the wrong belief in there was both of those Christian leaders said what? I don't like going to church. But friends, we're going to address myths all day today. We're going to address four myths. And the first myth, if you're taking notes, is this. We are at church. That's a myth. We are not at church. We don't go to church. 
The truth is that we are the church. We have brought the church of God inside these walls today and over in the venue, brought the church of God inside these walls to worship him and give him praise. We did not come to church. We are the church. And that's what we're going to spend our whole morning talking about today. And before we open up God's Word and address three other myths about the church that I see that God's Word addresses, I want to pray, and then we're going to read the Scripture together. So would you join me in prayer? God, we love you today. We want to know what you have to say. We want you to address these myths for us in and through your word. Spirit of God, would you speak to each heart? God, I know that some of these words today might be challenging for folks, might be um, a, a little difficult to hear, maybe encouraging for some of us, but God, we trust you to speak to us through your word about your church. People of God together said, Amen. If that's you, if you kind of are like one of those guys and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of disillusioned. This, this thing's kind of getting boring to me. This really isn't my deal anymore. Then today's message is for you. For some of you, you've been a believer for a while and you participate in body life and you just, gosh, I just can't wait to be a part of the service of worship that we give to the King of Kings. I can't wait to interact with my brothers and sisters called the church. If that's you, let this message today be an encouragement for you. But if you've kind of grown disillusioned, if you've kind of grown tired of, of, of interacting with the body and participating in the body, I just want to maybe tweak, if I could, just massage a couple of beliefs about the church so that right beliefs lead to right behavior and right behavior leads to a positive outcome. The context of the scripture that we're going to look at today is this. Jesus uh, lived for 30 years on the planet, did ministry for three. He was killed uh, on a cross, buried in a tomb on the third day, rose again, and conquered hell and, and the grave. Amen? Amen, right? So 40 days later, he ascends into heaven at the right hand of the Father where he rules and reigns. Before he took off, he promised his disciples, look, this is a good thing that I'm leaving. And they're going, you're got to be kidding me, right? No, it's a good thing that I'm leaving because if I don't leave, then the Spirit can't come. So when Jesus ascends into heaven, the disciples go to Jerusalem and they wait on the Spirit to come. And when the Spirit shows up, the Spirit empowers them to preach the gospel in a way that it had never been preached before and probably has not since. And they preach the gospel and three or four thousand folks come to know Jesus in repentance and faith that day. And so the book of Acts records this history of the church, this history of the apostles. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, Luke describes this first church of God, this first group of people that were redeemed of the Lord called the church. So if you have your Bibles, open them with me. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. You Feel free to use your iPhone, your iPad, you can use the Pew Bible in front of you if you're in this room venue. Uh, you've got the words up on the screen, the scripture up on the screen. We'll have it up on the screen in here as well. But we're in Acts 2, 42 through 47, and listen to the way that Luke describes the church. He says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who were believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, there's a lot of stuff that we could pull from this passage. Commentators and, and Bible scholars and theologians and, you know, volumes and volumes and volumes written about these five or six verses here in Acts. But we're just going to address a couple of myths that I see pretty prevalent in, in the Western church, especially today. And the first is this. Myth number two, if you're taking notes, is the church is an organization. The church is an organization. That's a, that's a myth. It's a myth. From this passage here, listen to the way Luke describes the church. He says that the people get together and they pray, they study, they share a meal, they interact with the apostles, they believe, they sell their possessions, they give, they attend temple, they were glad and generous, they praised God, they enjoyed the favor of the community, and the Lord added more what? People. People. The church is not an organization. The church is an organism. The church is not an organization. The church is an organism. That's truth number two on your notes there. The church is an or organism. The church is a living thing. Listen to the way Webster's Dictionary defines organization. It says an organization is a structure through which individuals co cooperate systematically to conduct business. A structure through which individuals cooperate systematically to conduct business. So if I view the church as an organization, then I start to understand the church as a vendor of religious goods and services. I start to treat the church like a country club or a Costco, right? At my favorite Starbucks. I, if, I, if I view it as an organization... I start to view the church as a vendor of religious goods and services. Friends, we're not a vendor of religious goods and services. We're not an organization. We are an organism. All throughout the scripture, here in Acts 2, 42 through 47, Luke talks about the church as people, as people, not a vendor of religious goods and services, as a group of people, a living thing. And all throughout the scripture, a whole bunch of other apostles and scripture writers talk about the church, and when they talk about the church, they compare it to a living thing. John compares it to branches in John 15. Paul compares the church to a body in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and Hebrews 12. We're compared to a bride. We're compared to a household. We're compared to a kingdom or an army. Some of you might be thinking, well, 1 Peter 2, right? Uh, Peter compares the church to the temple. That's an inanimate object. Except that when Peter talks about the church in 1 Peter 2, he says, you also, like stones, are being built into a spiritual house. I left out one word. Anyone know what it is? You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. We are living stones. We are an organism, not an organization. Now, don't get me wrong. I love organization. I love strategy. I love plan. 
But we are not an organization, a vendor of religious goods and services. We are an organism, a living thing. Let let me see if I can kind of help us understand this by talking about my own family. In my family, we organize all the time. We organized vacations. We organized wake-up times. Uh, Sometimes wake-up times are a little disorganized, but we try. We try, right? We organize grocery trips. We organize uh, the, the, the way we uh, spend our time with friends. We organize our budget. We have all kinds of organization in our family, but are we an organization? No, we are a family. We're an organism. We're a body. We are a living thing. What happens when your favorite vendor of a good or service stops making that particular good or service available, what do you do? You go find another one, right? What happens if my family stopped making a particular good or service available to me? It's my family. (laughs) I stick around. I I contribute. I do my best. What happens if I go home and the trash needs to be taken out? Do I look around for the person that I, gosh, I, I felt like I was paying my dues here. Somebody needs to take care of the trash. No, I don't. I walk in my house and I say, I am part of an organism. I am part of a family. I contribute. So I pick up the trash and take it out. I forget to put a bag in a lot of times, but I do. I do. I try. I try. <laughs> see, see when, we, when, we, when we view the church as an organization, it's a vendor of religious goods and services, and the result is going to be disappointment and disillusionment. But when we view the church as an organ, organism and we learn to participate in body life and participate in family life, the outcome is going to be really good. Let me encourage you in two ways directly from this scripture about how you might learn to participate in family life, in family life, in body life, in the life of the organism that's called the church. The first way is this. It just takes time. It just takes time. Look at verse 46. If you've got your Bibles open, it says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Some of your translations might say, and daily. How often did they meet? Every day. Every day. It, it just takes time. Listen, uh, I'll speak to you if, if you're our guest here today. Um, we're a family here at Scottsdale Bible Church. We're the family of God. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that God started a family a long, long time ago so that he could adopt you and me into it. So if you're our guest today and you go, gosh, I don't really know a lot of people here and this seems pretty big and I feel pretty overwhelmed, meet with us daily. Learn to be a part of this family because our arms are wide open. We are so glad that you're here. You are welcome to be a part of the family of God but it just takes time. You know, people go to, you know, worship service or whatever, and they come here and they worship, you know. It's like, hey, you know, where do you go to church? Scottsdale Bible Church. Awesome. Do you go there on Christmas or Easter? <laughs> and, 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 and we can get, and I don't want to mock that. That's okay. We have a lot of guests on Christmas and Easter, and we're so glad that you're here. But, but it, it It takes time to learn how to be a part of a family, does it not? It takes being together all the time. It takes meeting together. Does that mean we've got to hold worship services every day? No. Why? Because we're not at church. We are the church. But we learn to interact with one another on a daily basis. It takes time. Number two, it takes risk. It takes risk. 
Look again at verse 46, at the end of 46. It says that they received food with glad and generous hearts. Some of you might be looking at a different Bible translation, and that word might be generous. It might be sincere hearts. It might say that they uh, receive food with simplicity of heart. The, the original Greek word there, aphelotes, is, is a little bit difficult to translate. That's why each different Bible translation has sincerity of heart or generous hearts or something different in your translation. Because the original Greek word, it, it really means smooth. It means no wrinkles. So get this. It doesn't mean perfect. Doesn't mean perfect. What it means is that this early church met together and they didn't have any folds in their heart where they tucked things away and hid it from one another. They were smooth. They came sincere. They came with generous hearts, wide open to the people around them. And friends, does that not take risk? It takes a little bit of risk, doesn't it? Now, I'm not saying find a small group and go throw up on them emotionally, right? That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that as, as we meet together day by day, you will find in the church, in the body, some people that you can unfold your heart to that you can be sincere with, that you can meet with, with glad and generous hearts and unfold those wrinkles in your heart where you have these things tucked away and learn to participate in the life of the family, the life of the body. We're not an organization, we're an organism. Myth number two. Myth number two. Well, this would be number three in your notes there because we started with um, we are at church. We're not at church, we are the church. The church is an organization was myth number two. That's not true. The church is an organism. Myth number three, the church is a buffet. The church is a buffet. The church is a place where I come and a number of spiritual feeding options are laid out before me and I get to choose what I like best. What suits my needs? The church is a buffet. Uh, I grew up, as I've told you guys before, in the West Texas, East New Mexico area. So uh, I grew up in a Baptist church. So every Sunday morning, we would go to church, and all we'd want to do is beat the Presbyterians to Luby's. That's all we wanted to do. <laughs> How many of you know Luby's? Have you, have you? Oh, good God, that is amazing. I'm so glad. Luby's is amazing. It's Old Testament good. It really is. It's... It is outstanding. Look, the venue over there, it's a lot of younger people. They're like, Luby's? That's, I don't know what that is. Furs? Anybody know Furs Cafeteria? Yeah. Praise Jesus, glory be. Um, listen, I, I don't know if you ever do this because Luby's and Furs, they're, they're a buffet style, right? So here's what you do at a buffet. You go in, you get your tray, you get your plate, and you get in line. And I will watch people at these, at these cafeterias, at these buffets, and, and what they'll do is, what, what do they put first in the line at a cafeteria? Salad. Salad. And they load their plate up with salad. And if you've been to buffets a lot like I have, then you look at that person on the other side of the, the deal from you, and you're thinking, amateur, <laughs> chump. <laughs> they don't know what's coming. And what's next is vegetables, and what's after that? Meat, fried chicken, right? The guy who's cutting prime rib about as thin as origami paper. You know what I'm talking about? 
and he gives you one of those things on a plate. It's like, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to eat it or make a dove? What is this? I don't know what this is. So what I do at a buffet is I, I skip the salad. And I, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, because I want to get to the meat. Have you ever done that here at Scottsdale Bible Church? Have you ever skipped over the salad of worship because you want to get to the meat of the word? Choke down the asparagus of a small group because you want to get to the meat of the word. Now, a lot of pastors would stand up here and tell you, look, the church is not a buffet. It's a plated dinner. Come five minutes early, stay five minutes late. You will get and like everything that we give you. So the church, some, some pastors would stand up here and say, it's not a buffet, it's a, it's a plated dinner, everything. You don't get to pick and choose, everything. But listen, I think the scripture's got a much higher calling for you and me than the church is a buffet or even the church is a plated dinner. Here's what the church is. The church is a potluck, friends. The church is a potluck. Look at the, look at the way that Luke describes this early church. Uh, verse 42, he says, and they devoted themselves, not singular, plural, all studied, all prayed, all met in homes. They met in each other's homes, it says. So all kinds of people were opening up their homes. They all sold their possessions. Verse 44, they all had things in common. Everybody contributed. Everybody brought a dish to share. Listen to the way Romans 12 says it. It says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, there's the organism, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do diligently. If it's to show mercy, then do so cheerfully. In other words, you want to bring cups? Bring cups. You want to bring ice? Bring ice. You want to bring a hot dish to share? Great. You want to bring that weird jello thing that nobody likes? That's amazing. That's, that's great, because I like it, right? Because the church is a potluck. We all come. We all bring something. And if you are a believer in Christ, the Spirit of God has given you a supernatural gift called a spiritual gift, a supernatural ability to edify the body. The Spirit of God has given you a dish to share. And we all come and share together and contribute. And the great thing is, listen, what happens at the end of a potluck? Everybody eats. Everybody eats. Everybody gets nourished. Everybody gets renewed, not because somebody stood up here and went, here's some meat, here's some meat, here's some meat, but because everybody came and contributed. And you might be thinking, gosh, what, what can I do? What dish can I bring? We have all kinds of opportunities here. You can serve with the IT department. You can serve in the connection ministry. You can serve on the safety and security team. If you want to get real crazy, serve in the junior high ministry. It's just <laughs> bananas over there. They smell like Skittles and BO and Axe body spray all the time. It's just, <laughs> it's crazy. Some of, some of you think, well, I don't, I, don't, I don't do IT. I don't greet people. I can't hand out bulletins. Here's a dish you can bring. Pray. Pray. Pray for our pastor, Jamie. Pray for our elders here. 
Pray for that person sitting down the row from you, not at church, but the church sitting down the row from you. Pray. Bring a dish to share because the church is a potluck. It's not a buffet. Myth number three. Myth number three. Church is voluntary. Church is voluntary. That's that's a myth, friends, that church is voluntary. Look at verse 42. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Again, original Greek, they devoted themselves. They were steadfastly continuing in. They were committed to. They persisted in. Listen to the way the author of Hebrews says it in Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how we might uh, stir one another up toward love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day draw near. The author of Hebrews, inspired by the Spirit of God, commands you and I to meet together as the church. Not to go to church, but to be the church to meet together. Church is not voluntary. Church is vital. Church is vital. If you're taking notes, that's truth number four. Church is vital. Now, a lot of us might be thinking, gosh, Luke, I attend church, and I attend church regularly. No, you don't. You are the church. (laughs) You are the church, and being the church is vital for your walk with Jesus, for your... um, a growth in him, for your sanctification, for as you become more and more like Jesus, being the church is vital. It's not voluntary. And, and look, God knows us best, right? He created us. He made you a spirit to interact with him. So these commandments aren't like him up in heaven going, man, after that whole creation of the world thing, I don't have anything left to do. <laughs> I'm just going to make some arbitrary rules for these folks to follow and just see how they do. That's not what that is. God loves you. He cares about you. He wants the best for you. I've been serving here as a pastor now for over eight years. This place is my home. This place is my wife's home. I love you. I care about you. I want the best for you. So I want to tell you that church is vital. It's vital. And that's why God commands it, because he loves you, because he cares about you. He knows that if you are to grow in Christ, then being a part of the church is absolutely vital. The right belief is church is vital. The right behavior is that I'm part of it on a regular basis. And the right outcome is that I grow in Christ, that my spiritual growth is not stunted because I think church is voluntary. Young people. Young people in here and over in the venue, I want to talk directly to you. And when I say young people, I mean younger than me, right? You just guess how old I am. Just figure it out, right? And if you think you're younger than me, I'm talking to you. Um, we're, we're, we're not good at this church's vital thing. We, we just aren't. As, as some of us are, but, but kind of as a group in general, we're not really good at it. I think a lot of it has to do with the accessibility of great preaching online, which is awesome. Uh, the accessibility of wonderful worship music, which is awesome. And so what we tend to do is we do Pinterest church, right? 
We take a little bit of worship from here and a little bit of teaching from here and a little bit of doctrine from here and we just kind of hop around and hop around and hop around. And, and, and it's like that person that's got a potted plant, right? And they're carrying around a potted plant and they take it out of the pot and they plant it in a garden and it grows for a little bit and then they go, oh, we had it with this. And then they uproot it and put it back in the pot and then they walk over somewhere else and they take it out of the pot and they put it back into the ground again and, and it grows for a little bit and then they uproot it again and put it back in the pot. Is that good for the plant? No. No, so put roots down, stick around. You wanna to listen to preaching online? Great. You wanna to listen to worship? Great. You wanna get podcasts and you know, Twitter from you know, all these pastors all over the country? That's awesome. But find a community to put roots down in so that you can bring a dish to share, so that you can learn how to be a part of family life because church is vital. It's not voluntary. You wake up Sunday morning and think, gosh, you know what sounds great today? Bedside Baptist Church. That's awesome. That's what sounds. That's, 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 that's not what this is. It's, we're not a vendor of religious goods and services for us to just come and pick what we want. This is a family. This is a body. This is our church. And that's us. We are the church. So what would happen? What would happen if we, if we started to see ourselves as an organism, if we started to see ourselves as a potluck, if we started to see ourselves as vital for our own spiritual life and for the spiritual life of the people sitting next to us, what would happen? There's three things that the book of Acts says. What happened when this early church did it? The first thing is that they saw God move in power. Verse 43, they saw God move in power. If you've still got your Bible open, look at verse 43. It says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. They saw God move in power. And there's not a person in here that would say, You know what? I'd rather not see God move in power. Even, even an atheist would go, Look, if there's a God on the outside chance, if, there, if, if he's there, it'd be great to see him move in power. Now, a lot of theologians and scholars, they bicker and they go back and forth on what these wonders and miraculous signs are. Some say they don't happen anymore. Some say they happen in real specific situations. Some say they happen everywhere all the time. That's for a whole different sermon. All I know is when the early church learned how to be a family, an organism, when they saw each other as vital, when they saw it as a potluck, they saw God move in power. That's what they saw. They saw God move in power and do some things where they stepped aside and went like this. Only God could have done that. Only God could have done that. And he did it in and through their community of faith, in and through them being the church. He moved in power. And if we can do that, we'll see God move in power. The second thing that we'll see is we'll see needs met in miraculous ways Look at verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Two chapters later in Acts 4, Luke actually says that there were no needy among them. Could you imagine that, church of God? Could you imagine that? Looking across our community and going, hey, anybody need anything? Anybody lacking anything? And everybody goes, no, I think I'm cool. 
I think we're good. My family's good. I'm taking care of everybody okay. Selling their possessions and giving to each as they had need. A week from today, we're doing a thing called the elders offering. We do it once a month. It's a tradition here at Scottsdale Bible Church. If you're from a different faith tradition, a benevolent fund is kind of what they call it in other faith traditions. Here's what we do. Once a month, we take up a special offering at the end of the service where people give only to meet the needs of the community. That's all that offering goes to is just to meet the needs of the community. And over 50 years of being the church at Scottsdale Bible Church, people selling their possessions and giving to each as they had need through the elders offering, this body of believers, this community of faith has literally given away millions and millions and millions of dollars. And I, as a pastor here over the last eight and a half years, have sat in my office and watched God meet needs in miraculous ways through you, through the church. I've, I've, young girls come into my office. Uh, boyfriend's been hitting on me for the last year, and I don't mean hitting on me like, hey, girl. I mean like hitting. And, and I've been living with him for the last year, and, and I don't have any place to go. I don't have any job. And guess who paid her rent for six months? Guess who made sure she and her child were taken care of for six months? You, the church. Guess what service she goes to now? Saturday night. <laughs> the church, meeting needs. So next week when we do that elder offering thing, please don't try to beat the crowd to Butterfields, right? <laughs> Stick around. Give generously. And if your budget doesn't allow you to do that, that's okay. Pray. Pray for the needs of the community. Thank God for the blessings that he's given on other brothers and sisters in this community of faith so that we can give and see God meet needs in miraculous ways, just like the early church did. The third thing that we'd see happen is this. We'd see people transformed by God's grace we would see people transformed by God's grace. Look at verse 47. Second half of verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Who added? The Lord. What did he add? People. People who got saved. Organism, not organization. And he added to their number daily because they were the church. Because people knew they were his disciples because of their love for one another. Because they acted like a family. Because they saw it as vital. Because everybody brought a dish to share. He added to their number daily. And people were transformed by God's grace. Look, I, I'm, uh, I still believe this book, right? It's 2,000 years old. A lot of stuff's older than that. It still works. It still will adjust our belief so that our behavior gets adjusted and so the outcome is positive, right? And so, and so this book says that we have to see each other as an organism, as a family, as a body, that we have to see each other as vital for our spiritual life. And we have to view this thing called the church as an organism, not an organization. And if and when we do that, we'll see God move in power. We'll see needs met in miraculous ways. And we'll see people transformed by God's grace. We are not at church, friends. What is it? We are the church. Amen. Let's pray together. 
God, we love you and we are your church. We declare that together today as a body, as a family, that we are yours. You have added to this number at Scottsdale Bible Church. God, thank you so much for the ways that we've seen needs met in miraculous ways, that we've seen people transformed by God's grace. God, we've seen this over and over in 50 years of history, God. And as we look out onto the horizon, we want to be more like an organism. We want to be more like a body. We want to be more like a family every day. We want to be more like a potluck where we all bring something, where we all contribute, where we all serve, where we put our spiritual gifts to use. And God, we want to see one another as vital, where each one of us as individuals, as family, puts roots down in a community of faith and grows in the way that you would have us grow. God, this is your day. Do with it uh, for the rest of today. Whatever you wish, teach us that we are the church. God's people here in the worship center and over at the venue together said, amen. amen. You guys have a great Sunday. See ya.